0: Listen closely. That's not just paint rolling on a wall. It's artistry. A master painter carefully applying Benjamin Moore Regal Select eggshell with deftly executed strokes. The roller, lightly cradled in his hands, applying just the right amount of paint. Hmm. It's like hearing poetry in motion. Benjamin Moore, see the love.
1: A chill blew through the streets of London one August day in 1802. Though the wind blustered and the shingles rattled outside, it was nothing compared to what was happening indoors. Inside a small, dingy house on the outskirts of the city, 52-year-old Joanna Southcott was locked in a battle with a
2: demon. Joanna braced herself as she felt an evil presence enter the room. She'd been ordered by the Holy Spirit to sequester herself alone in a house so that she could speak with Satan. A chill ran up Joanna's spine as she heard an awful, echoing voice. At first she assumed she was speaking with the devil himself, but the being soon identified himself merely as Satan's friend.
1: The demon didn't want her blood. It wanted her loyalty. It sought to deceive her, as Lucifer had once deceived Eve. Joanna shivered as the voice thundered, Thy God is a
2: liar. But Joanna had faith. She knew that the Lord would guide her through any conflict. So she beat back her fear and felt her soul shine as she answered, Who then is my God? I seek to serve no other God but the God of heaven. And with those defiant words, the battle began.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Polson.
2: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is Cults, a ParCast Original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Cults for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar.
2: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.
1: This week, we'll explore the predictions of self-proclaimed Christian prophet, Joanna Southcott. We'll cover Joanna's early life in England and her transformation from domestic servant to religious leader in 1792.
2: Next week, we'll focus on the final years of Joanna's life and the organizations which sought to keep her legacy alive after her death.
1: Joanna Southcott came from humble beginnings on a farm in Devonshire, England. Her parents, William and Hannah, were both very religious and brought her up to have an extensive knowledge of the Bible. As a young girl, Joanna's father made her read a chapter of the Bible each day and discuss it with him afterward.
2: Young Joanna loved Scripture and did her best to devote herself to the Lord. When she was 18 years old, in 1768, a young man named Noah Bishop complicated this task when he tried to court her. Joanna found it hard to resist Bishop, but she resolved to conquer her earthly passions through prayer. She soon rejected Noah for
1: God. After another man, Peter West, expressed an interest in her, Joanna prayed for a sign from the Lord. She asked God to keep Peter away from her for a month if he wasn't her destined soulmate. When Peter failed to visit her the next month, She knew her prayers had been answered. Peter finally came to call sometime later, but Joanna rejected him. He was too late. God had spoken.
2: In Joanna's time, it was unusual for a woman of her age to remain single. However, her hyper-religious upbringing may have made her reluctant to marry.
1: Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist. But she has done a lot of research for this show.
2: Thanks, Greg. According to a study performed by Dr. Dina Abbott, high religiosity has been linked to low sexual self-esteem in women. She writes, Women with high religious commitment are less likely to perceive sex as congruent with their moral values. It's possible that Joanna's intense desire to be a good Christian woman made her wary of sex and thus less eager to marry. Apart
1: from her refusal to wed, Joanna stuck close to the era's ideal of a modest Christian woman. And the fact that she was single soon proved to be a blessing to her father. At some point, her mother died. Soon afterward, Mr. Southcott became ill. He was so sick that he needed someone to take care of him full time. Unlike her other siblings who were grown, with families of their own, 21-year-old Joanna could focus entirely on her father. So the job fell to her.
2: William remained sick for around two years, during which time Joanna tended to the farm and helped him slowly recover. When he finally did, Joanna began taking odd jobs to get by. In
1: 1775, she found work as a domestic servant in the nearby city of Exeter. She stayed there for five years, during which time she won the affection of her boss, an upholsterer named Mr. Wills.
2: One day in 1780, he suddenly cornered Joanna, now 30 years old, and told her that he was in love with her. When she rebuffed him, he tried to walk back his advances, but it was too late.
1: That night, Joanna prayed hard about her situation and decided that she had to leave the city as soon as possible.
2: She spent the next 12 years working as a domestic servant and upholsterer for several other employers. Then, in 1792, at the age of 42, everything changed.
1: That year, while visiting her sister, Joanna claimed that she was visited by the Holy Spirit. During the visit, she heard a voice speak to her and saw visions of the future. At first, Joanna was afraid it was all a trick orchestrated by Satan.
2: So she asked the voice for a sign that it was a real spirit and not a hallucination. In response, the spirit supposedly knocked loudly three times on her bed frame. It then commanded her to begin writing.
1: Still not convinced, Joanna tried to pray the voice away, but it persisted and once again ordered Joanna to write down what she saw. Finally, she gave in.
2: It's impossible to know exactly what to make of Joanna's claims. However, it could be she was genuinely suffering from some kind of delusion rather than completely fabricating her stories.
1: Since psychology wasn't an established discipline at the time, Joanna was never officially diagnosed with a mental illness. There also isn't much to suggest that she was suffering from other psychological symptoms.
2: It's possible that after 42 years living the difficult life of a domestic servant, Joanna was desperately searching for some greater purpose to devote herself to. By recording her prophecies, Joanna may have been trying to seek validation from the rest of the world to prove she was special.
1: Regardless, Joanna never changed her story during her lifetime. According to her, after hearing the voice of God, she took up a pencil and wrote immediately without thinking.
2: She claimed the words came easily and in simple rhyming verse, faster than she could think. As she wrote, she rarely ever looked down at the paper except to turn the page. It was like the words weren't coming from her, they were being channeled through her.
1: When she was done, Joanna read back her writing and gasped. She was surprised to find that she had predicted England would soon go to war with the French. And that shortly after, the island would fall into distress and
2: famine. The first person Joanna told about her visions was her sister. Far from being impressed, her sister dismissed her writings as absurd gibberish. She disputed Joanna's points and forbade Joanna from writing any more prophecies as long as she stayed in her house. Joanna
1: didn't seem very surprised by her sister's disbelief. She knew how unlikely her story sounded. She had her own doubts and privately wondered if she was spouting blasphemy. But in her mind, she wasn't doing any harm by writing the prophecies down. After all, she wasn't screaming them in the streets. So when her sister went on a short trip not long afterward, Joanna broke her rule and wrote down more of her predictions.
2: For a while, Joanna kept her prophecies to herself, but in Christmas of 1792, she opened up once again after joining a small society of Methodists. Joanna told
1: her fellow believers that she'd been visited by the Holy Spirit with visions of the future. Like her sister, the Methodists worried that Joanna was mentally ill. When she tried to protest and explain herself, the leaders of the society kicked her out. They believed she was either sick or being misled by the devil.
2: This rejection left Joanna shattered. Her mood plummeted, and she went back to living with her sister for a while, apparently needing someone to take care of her.
1: According to Joanna, at her sister's home, she was immediately mentally attacked by demons for ten days straight. While her previous visions had been thrilling, now she was made to see and hear horrible things— She could feel Lucifer trying to break her faith. In the end, Joanna's steadfast prayer vanquished the devil, and she emerged more sure than ever that the Lord was on her side.
2: Soon, Joanna's faith was rewarded. The following year, in 1793, war broke out between Britain and France, just like Joanna said it would. As a result of poor harvests and the financial pressures of the war, parts of the country were economically depressed, just like Joanna said they would be.
1: Buoyed by this proof of her second sight, Joanna told two reverends about her experiences, and for the first time, she got a positive reception.
2: One of the men she contacted, Reverend Tanner, urged her to continue her writings. The other, however, Reverend Leach, claimed her visions were from an evil spirit.
1: Joanna thought about reaching out to a third reverend, but the Holy Spirit visited her once again. This time, God told her she must convince Reverend Leach of her holiness before spreading her message further.
2: All the while, 44-year-old Joanna continued to work full-time, taking jobs as a domestic servant while quietly writing about her revelations. She waited until 1784 and then wrote to Reverend Leach a second time.
1: By now, England was in a worse economic crisis than before. Joanna's predictions seemed more reliable than ever. Reverend Leach seemed to agree, at least in part. He responded to Joanna's letter, still sounding skeptical, but acknowledged that God may be revealing things to her that he couldn't understand.
2: Joanna was frustrated with the tone of Leach's letter. She felt she'd already proven beyond doubt that her predictions were accurate. She'd been told to sway Leach to her side, but at best, he seemed to be gently brushing her off.
1: She worried that time was of the essence. The more she communicated with the Holy Spirit, the more she feared something big was coming. Though she didn't know what it was, she knew the Lord had chosen her for an important mission— But without the approval of the church leaders, Joanna knew she'd be accused of using black magic, or consorting with the devil, instead of spreading God's word.
2: To try and enhance her credibility, Joanna put her writings from 1794 into a sealed box and gave it to one of her friends for safekeeping. A few months later, she wrote to Leach a third time, trying yet again to get his approval. He responded
1: towards the end of the summer, telling Joanna that he'd resigned as minister and was no longer interested in verifying her claims. Like many others, Leach may have believed Joanna was suffering from mental illness.
2: Joanna instead turned her attention to a small group of unnamed men she thought she could convert to her side. The men may have been part of the Methodist society she was booted from years before, or they may have been other clergymen who'd talked with Reverend Leach before he resigned.
1: Either way, 45-year-old Joanna delivered some of her sealed writings to the men at the end of 1795 and made a deal with them. They could read her prophecies for themselves in the future to determine whether they were divinely inspired or not. But she insisted that the seal couldn't be broken on the writings unless the men
2: did it in the presence of Joanna and her friends. The men agreed to Joanna's terms, but promptly broke their promise— They reviewed Joanna's prophecies without waiting for the proper time. After reading them, the men quickly agreed amongst themselves that the predictions were inspired by the devil, and Joanna was dismissed as an agent of Satan once again.
1: But as Joanna later reported, she'd known all along the men would break the seals early and label her a fraud. The Spirit had told her that she would have to keep her faith and continue writing her prophecies in the face of ridicule.
2: Luckily, she soon managed to sway one religious figure to her side. Joanna revealed her prophecies to a new reverend and told him how Leach and the others had called her the devil. The man, Reverend Pomeroy, encouraged Joanna and said he was confident the Holy Spirit was speaking through her.
1: With his quiet support, Joanna grew confident enough to make one of her boldest claims yet. And with this prediction, Joanna became a prophet
2: coming up Joanna's proven right again and people start to take notice
0: this episode is brought to you by anytime fitness forget dark alleys and cemeteries for some the gym is the scariest place of all but it doesn't have to be With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. (sighs)
2: Spring is a time
0: of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com
2: invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, back to the story.
1: Joanna Southcott, a 42-year-old domestic servant, began receiving visions of the future in 1792. Over the next several years, she attempted to convince her sister and several clergymen that she was communicating with God. But despite some of her prophecies coming true, she had little success convincing them to believe her. They largely thought she was suffering from mental illness or that she'd been led astray by Satan.
2: In 1796, 44-year-old Joanna started corresponding with a reverend named Pomeroy, who at first seemed to believe she'd been touched by God. After
1: hearing some details about Joanna's prophecies, Pomeroy told her he didn't believe she'd been influenced by the devil. In private, however, he apparently told a friend that Joanna will be out of her mind soon.
2: Joanna later said she knew about Pomeroy's private doubts. According to her... She had a vivid dream soon after she wrote to him for the first time.
1: In the dream, Joanna sat in a small room with a well dressed gentleman and a lady. For a while, the three of them lingered silently in the room. Then, the door suddenly burst open.
2: The devil entered the room in disguise. Joanna didn't describe what he looked like, but apparently, Satan couldn't fully hide his evil face. As soon as he walked through the door, the gentleman stood up and began sprinting away. The devil chased the man, reaching out with terrible claws to grab him by the neck. All the while, Joanna and the lady stood paralyzed with fear.
1: The devil finally grabbed the man, but the gentleman wrested himself away from Satan's grip. At that point, Joanna screamed and then woke up with a start.
2: Joanna prayed on the meaning of her dream and soon received an answer from the Holy Spirit. The gentleman in the dream was Reverend Pomeroy. God told Joanna that he would struggle with the devil, but would ultimately come to see the truth of her writings.
1: Relieved, Joanna continued to correspond with Pomeroy and gave him a new sealed prophecy in May of 1796. She instructed him to keep the writings sealed until the end of the year, which he
2: did. When the Reverend broke the seal nearly eight months later, he was floored. Joanna's writing had predicted that a church leader, Bishop Buller, would be dead by year's end. She was right.
1: Bishop Buller had died only a few weeks prior, on December 12th. The 61-year-old had been in good health for most of the year, and his passing took many by surprise. But apparently, Joanna had known about it more than six
2: months before it happened. The prophecy unsettled Pomeroy. Up until then, he'd been relatively sure that Joanna was mentally ill. In his view, he'd encouraged her simply as a kindness so that she wouldn't become depressed. He didn't believe she was dangerous or possessed by the devil, only sick.
1: Now, he didn't know what to believe. Ultimately, he decided he needed more proof of Joanna's gift, but some of his initial skepticism began to diminish.
2: To prove her powers once and for all, Pomeroy asked Joanna to tell him what would happen to England over the following year. As the conflict between Britain and France dragged on, Pomeroy wanted to know when the war would end.
1: To answer his question, Joanna took to prayer. After a couple of days, the Spirit answered her call and she made several predictions about what would happen to the country in 1797. She dutifully wrote them down and handed the predictions off to Pomeroy, hoping to get his full confidence by the end of the next year.
2: Meanwhile, Joanna, now 46, continued working full-time while fulfilling her religious obligations. In 1796, she took a job as an upholsterer. She didn't earn any salary, but instead got room and board at the home of her employer. Almost all of
1: Joanna's off-time was dedicated to prayer and prophecy. During Lent, she claimed that she ate nothing but a single bowl of broth and bread for a six days straight.
2: Her dedication apparently paid off. We don't know exactly what she predicted would happen to England in 1797, but Joanna claimed that everything she told Pomeroy came to pass. Still, it doesn't seem like Pomeroy made much effort to spread Joanna's message or get others to join her cause.
1: For the next couple of years, Joanna tried in vain to win over other members of the Church of England without him.
2: Then in 1799, she sent a letter to her friend, warning that the year's harvest would not be good. She sent copies of the letter to Pomeroy and an archdeacon of the church.
1: Just like all the others, Joanna's latest prediction was met with contempt at first. The harvest seemed like it was going to be plentiful, but as the community geared up to collect the crops, a harsh rain began to fall.
2: It continued until the harvest had been spoiled. Joanna was proven right again. But far from convincing her critics, she'd only put a target on her back. It seemed that no matter how many times she predicted the future, members of the church refused to recognize her as a prophet. Instead, they just looked for reasons to discredit her.
1: It's hard to know exactly why Joanna failed to garner even a single powerful ally during this time. Most clergymen she talked to had trouble believing that God would reveal himself to an ordinary person rather than to a priest or higher up in the church.
2: But the more significant factor appears to have been her gender. More than one clergyman said he couldn't believe that God would entrust his prophecies to a woman. One of her critics falsely claimed that Joanna promoted the idea that Christ has changed his sex and has come in the form of woman.
1: It was a deliberate misunderstanding of what Joanna had insisted since the beginning. She never claimed that she was divine or was the embodiment of Christ, only that God spoke through her writings
2: independent of her conscious mind. Though Joanna remained mostly respectful in her public statements defending herself from these kinds of attacks, occasionally she showed flashes of anger— But this reaction, no matter how understandable, may have decreased her credibility in the minds of the men who were already looking for a reason to disbelieve her. According to Dr. Susan Whitbourne, people are less inclined to believe claims made by women if the women sound angry. Writing about a 2015 study, she states participants were more likely to doubt their initial judgments after hearing what an angry male holdout had to say, but were more confident in their own judgments after reading the angry woman's arguments.
1: Joanna's endless struggle to sway church leaders to her side put her under immense pressure. Her stress grew worse at the end of 1799, when she had to return to her hometown to care for her father, who had fallen severely ill again.
2: His illness continued for several months. In 1800, Joanna predicted that her father would die on July 15th, St. Swithin's Day. But ultimately, he recovered. The day passed and Joanna's father survived.
1: It was her first failed prediction, and her critics seized on it. Many who had refused to support her, even after she'd provided the proof they'd asked for, began pointing to this prediction as justification for rejecting her.
2: For her part, Joanna made no attempt to hide the failure of the prediction. She owned up to her mistake publicly several times, but overall, she remained convinced that God was speaking through her. By 1800, Joanna
1: had spent almost 10 years trying to get validation from clergy members for her prophecies. And had at best been met with amused tolerance. After the reaction to her first failed prophecy, Joanna finally realized that she'd have to spread her message herself.
2: Over the past eight years, she'd accumulated reams of writing. She had copies of most of her letters, as well as detailed accounts of her prophetic dreams and messages from the Holy Spirit.
1: On January 1, 1801, 50-year-old Joanna self-published some of her writings as the first volume of a book called Strange Effects of
2: Faith. The first volume of Joanna's book got enough interest that she was able to publish additional volumes. After her third volume was published in May, Joanna got letters from three reverends who were intrigued by her work.
1: But as she gained new admirers, she also got on the bad side of an old one. Pomeroy, who for years had strung Joanna along, outwardly encouraging her, was embarrassed to be included in the book as one of her supporters.
2: According to him, because of his inclusion, skeptical clergymen had publicly hounded him for supporting Joanna.
1: Pomeroy went so far as to visit Joanna and ask her to sign a public statement, admitting that she'd made a mistake by naming him in the book.
2: Joanna was confused, but was sincerely sorry to have caused Pomeroy trouble. She still saw him as a friend and thus agreed to sign the document.
1: But Joanna had trusted Pomeroy too much and hadn't read the document thoroughly enough. What she actually signed was a statement declaring that Pomeroy had never supported her at all. It also falsely claimed that Pomeroy had told her that her visions were a product of the devil.
2: With Joanna's unwitting signature, Pomeroy could now lie to skeptics that he'd actively discouraged Joanna from prophesying.
1: His behavior took Joanna off guard, especially when Pomeroy bought an ad in a local newspaper reprinting the document she'd signed, publicly accusing Joanna of lying in her book.
2: Joanna never forgot his betrayal, In response to the newspaper ad, she printed and distributed handbills throughout the city, trying to clear up the misconception.
1: She also tried to get the writing she'd sent to Pomeroy back from him, but he'd already burned them
2: all. All in all, it was a sobering experience for Joanna, and one that would haunt her for years, But while her self-published writings had provoked Pomeroy's ire, they'd also introduced her to a number of people who would actually support her in the future. In December of
1: 1801, 51-year-old Joanna met with the three reverends who wrote to her in May, along with four other men who were interested in her predictions. These seven stars, as Joanna called them, examined her writings to determine whether she had the gift of prophecy after all.
2: After reading her writings and listening to her speak, they were unanimously convinced. Joanna included their signed testimonials in subsequent volumes of her works.
1: But with every victory came another setback. Soon after the December meeting, the City Council of Exeter went after Joanna. Because the handbills she'd passed out about Pomeroy had also included claims that Joanna spoke with the Holy Spirit, the council accused her of blasphemy. Joanna would be forced to defend herself at a hearing.
2: Coming up, Joanna fights for her freedom and her message in front of the Exeter City Council. Now, back to the story.
1: Self-proclaimed prophet Joanna Southcott began publishing her Christian writings in 1801. By 1802, the 51-year-old had gained a small group of supporters who believed the Holy Spirit spoke through her. But she'd also attracted passionate critics.
2: In January of that year, she was accused of blasphemy by the city council in Exeter, England. The council held a private hearing and demanded that Joanna attend.
1: Joanna did as she was asked and went in front of the council to defend herself. The mayor asked her to hand her writings over to him until the following year so that he could judge for himself whether Joanna's predictions were accurate.
2: But Joanna had already been burned by people unsealing her prophecies before the proper time. She didn't hand anything over, but did manage to convince the council she wasn't spouting blasphemy. It helped that she now had several reverends who vouched for her. The council let her off with a warning, but the episode made Joanna more convinced than ever that she needed to shore up her support to stave off these kinds of attacks.
1: Over the next few months, Joanna grew closer to her seven stars, frequently writing to them. She regularly sent them her prophecies and discussed religious matters with them. In May of 1802, she even attended to one of the men, Reverend Wilson, when he came down with a severe illness.
2: In the days after Joanna visited him, Wilson got better. This led Joanna's supporters to conclude she had healing powers. Joanna encouraged their beliefs, happy to have more supposed proof of her holiness.
1: However, her claims were slightly undercut in the days after allegedly healing Wilson. Joanna started to become sick herself, though she went to great pains to explain she'd come down with a very different disease than Wilson. According to her, she'd been ordered by the Spirit to spar with demons for seven
2: days. Once again, it's hard to determine whether Joanna was being deliberately deceptive or sincerely experienced hallucinations. From time to time, she publicly expressed doubt in her connection to God, making it possible that she wasn't sure herself.
1: Regardless, she claimed that she had overcome the devil with the Holy Spirit's help. Not only that, but over the course of that same week, she also claimed to have completed the next volume of her writings, around 40 pages.
2: And to cap it all off, Joanna told her seven stars that she fasted for 40 days after vanquishing the evil spirit. Apparently
1: feeling better than ever after her fast, she invited the public to come to an open trial of her writings in November of 1802. That month, 52-year-old Joanna met with a new group of supporters, 23 in all, to judge her predictions. All of them determined that Joanna was righteous and divinely inspired. Once again, she got them to sign a paper attesting to the fact.
2: Joanna's supporters made copies of the document and circulated it around town. As usual, she was met with anger, and some priests denounced the document, calling it a list of 23 fools.
1: It seemed that with every step forward Joanna took, her critics did their best to send her two steps back. Though she had no idea, Joanna would soon face her harshest opposition yet.
2: In June of 1803, Joanna created and distributed custom seals for documents written by her supporters. The seals featured the initials for Jesus Christ, along with two stars. Joanna intended them to be used by her supporters to sign and close their letters.
1: But almost immediately, rumors flew that Joanna was selling her seals for profit. Adding to the confusion, some people started to believe that Joanna's seals were sacred and that owning one would guarantee a person a place in heaven.
2: Her critics pounced and claimed Joanna was lying to her followers and taking advantage of the gullible. Joanna countered in her subsequent writings that she never sold a single seal.
1: She claimed that she'd given them all out for free. She did believe her supporters were among God's chosen people, but she also said she'd never advertised the seals as some kind of reservation for a place in
2: paradise. It's difficult to determine today who was telling the truth. Some reports claim one of her seven stars, an engraver named William Sharp, sold the seals on her behalf. Others suggest that while Joanna never sold them herself, some devious middlemen may have gotten some and sold them without her consent to profit off of her.
1: If there's any truth to the rumors, it seems likely that the latter explanation is the correct one. Joanna was constantly the target of vicious gossip, and these rumors fit right in.
2: It would have been out of character for Joanna to sell the seals, Though she did sell her writings, she didn't make many attempts to enrich herself. She only made a modest living and never collected tithes from her followers. On the other hand, she did gladly allow her supporters to believe she had healing powers. It's possible that if someone suggested the seals granted salvation, she could have encouraged their claims to increase her credibility as a holy woman.
1: Either way, the seal debacle seriously damaged Joanna's credibility. Those who believed she was influenced by Satan had been waiting for her to slip up. And now they had something to hold over her head, regardless of whether she'd ever actually sanctioned the sales.
2: The reasons Joanna often seemed to be the victim of malicious gossip may have had less to do with her and more to do with her critics. As psychologist Robert Payne points out, a key function of gossip can be to elevate oneself at the expense of others. He writes that gossip is often used by individuals to sway a group's opinion in that individual's favor. Joanna
1: was the target of mostly male priests, who may have felt her claim of connection to the Holy Spirit threaten their own. At the time, women weren't allowed to be priests in the Church of England. If a woman could speak directly with God, then it challenged men's exclusive claim to divinity. Thus, they employed vicious rumors to elevate themselves at Joanna's expense.
2: The rumors definitely did their job. All the negative press hurt Joanna deeply. She began to doubt her powers and wondered often if she really was being fooled by the devil without knowing it. To friends and the public, she gave the impression of someone who genuinely felt she had a divine mission, and yet worried that she was being duped.
1: To settle the question once and for all, Joanna sought to hold yet another public trial of her prophetic abilities. With enough independent validation, she felt she could quell her doubts and prove that her connection to God was real. At the end of 1804, a full panel of 48 men examined Joanna's writings and interviewed her acquaintances.
2: Just like in the previous trial, by the end of it, all 48 men were convinced Joanna was sincere. They signed a paper declaring that her prophecies came straight from God.
1: This success comforted Joanna, and she resolved to continue making prophecies— She published a seemingly endless trove of letters and religious writings over the next few years. With each new volume, her readership grew. Though critics continued to hound her, she soon had enough passionate
2: supporters to drown them out. According to Joanna, she had distributed close to 14,000 of her seals by 1807, Not everyone with a seal was a diehard follower, but the number spoke to her rising influence and the wide distribution of her books.
1: With each new volume of her writing selling better, Joanna became desperate for clergy members to finally take her seriously. Over the next few years, she and her followers sent countless letters and copies of her work to higher-ups in the Church of England. They demanded the bishops open a box of Joanna's prophecies that she'd previously kept sealed for a time of national emergency.
2: However, Joanna ultimately reached a point where she didn't seem to mind whether or not the bishops approved of her or opened her box. She only wanted them to go on record about her one way or another. She sought their attention more and more aggressively, but most of the upper echelons of the church continued to ignore her.
1: The people, however, were definitely listening. In 1812, a wealthy follower of Joanna's named James Cousins died, leaving part of his fortune to her.
2: It was enough money that 62-year-old Joanna was secure for life. Meanwhile, as always, she continued to write. By the end of 1812, she'd amassed more than 50 volumes of work, averaging around 50 pages apiece.
1: It's difficult to estimate exactly how many followers Joanna had during this era. Her books now sold tens of thousands of copies, but not every consumer was a die-hard supporter. Still, it seems safe to say that she had at least 10,000 loyal followers throughout England, although most had never met her in person.
2: She primarily communicated with the world through her books, acting as a distant holy figure rather than a highly coordinated group leader. The tactic set her apart. Though there were plenty of religious figures claiming to be prophets at the time, very few were female.
1: Joanna's endless perseverance and patience in the face of criticism surprised her opposition. It turned her from an anonymous domestic servant to a significant religious thinker in her own right.
2: But with so many followers came high expectations. All of them expected a grand revelation to come from Joanna eventually. They believed she was God's chosen prophet and so assumed he'd entrusted her with world-shaking secrets beyond whether the year's harvest would be good or not. In
1: 1814, the moment they'd been waiting for finally came. That year, the 64-year-old virginal prophet dropped her biggest bombshell ever. She claimed she was pregnant with the child of God.
2: Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with Part 2 on Joanna Southcott. We'll hear about the fate of Joanna's child, as well as the movements she inspired even years after her death.
1: For more information on Joanna Southcott, amongst the many sources we used, we found Charles Lane's book, The Life of Joanna Southcott, extremely helpful to our research.
2: You can find all episodes of Cults and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Cults, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream Cults on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar.
2: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
1: Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Cults was written by Terrell Wells, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.